Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this class from our Equip Ministry will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. Father God, we thank you for uh, the Lord Jesus and for his uh, death on the cross for us. And just pray that we would uh, trust in him and walk with him. And we thank you for your word that is true, that we can trust, and that we can know you from your word. And uh, we just pray that uh, we would grow in our love and trust of you as we uh, study the book of Esther tonight and how uh, you are just clearly fulfilling your promises to your people. And uh, just help us to love and trust you more as a result of that. Um, yeah, we thank you for our church family and for uh, the body that we are and just pray that we'd be united in Christ and uh, move forward as one and that we would show equal care for every member as uh, we're instructed to in 1 Corinthians 12. And uh, we just thank you for your kindness to us in bringing us together and pray that we would glorify you um, as your body. Pray this in Christ's name, amen. Okay. Um, so we're in Esther tonight. We have a few more weeks uh, in Esther. And just a reminder, we're near the end of the Old Testament uh, chronologically, even though Esther shows up um, before Job and Psalms and all those things in the sequence of our Bibles. Uh, it occurs much later on, so we'll jump through those things tonight. Um, and then we're kind of in the middle or part two of our, of our series here. So we start out with Ezra 1 through 6, and now we're going through Esther. And uh, then we'll go back to Ezra at the beginning of November. So tonight, as we look at Esther 6 through 7... Um, I wanted to ask if any of you have ever played um, Ticket to Ride. Has anyone ever played that game? It's kind of a fun game. So if you were to go up to my wife and ask her, what game does Ryan hate? She would say Ticket to Ride. So I want to tell you why. I don't hate it. I just, I would never choose to play it. Um, so... The first time I played it, we were playing it with some friends. We had just been married a couple months, and they were explaining to me how to play. And the, the scope of the game, what you're trying to do is you're trying to make trains across a continent. So we were playing the United States one. And so the way it works is you get uh, like train tracks. You draw a card that shows like which cities you need to connect a train to, your train to, to get points. And you want to complete as many of those as you can. So you're trying to, to get as many tracks built as you can. So I was like, great. And so you can just take as many of those as you want. And so I had a bunch of tracks started, I had some finished, and I knew by the end of the game that I was gonna win. I had the most points of anybody. So we get to the end of the game, and we're, we're counting up points, and they're like, any of the, the maps where you are trying to complete a route to get points, any of those you didn't fully complete count against you. They're negative points. And so here I was, I thought I was gonna win the game because I had the most done, but I had a bunch of tickets that I didn't finish because I didn't know they'd work against me. And so I ended up losing. And that's why I hate Ticket to Ride, is because it's just the worst. Like you think I'm gonna win, there she is, she knows what we're talking about. I'm gonna win, and then in a moment they're like, no, those actually count against you and you're gonna lose. So I still do not prefer to play Ticket to Ride, but if you ask me to, I'd probably play with you. So as we jump into uh, Esther 6 and 7, this is kind of what's going on here. Uh, Haman has come to the point where he has everything going for him. He has a decree from the king to kill the Jews. Uh, he has built the gallows to hang Mordecai on early. Um, the queen and king love him. They're having him over for a banquet two nights in a row. He's on top of the world. Uh, he's like, I got this in the bag. I'm going to win. And all of tonight's lesson is about him 
losing. <laughs> he, he's right there about to get everything that he wants and it's going gonna, it's gonna to flip. And the comparison throughout the text, as we'll see tonight, is that everything that Haman wants for himself and he thinks, he thinks that he's going to get is given to Mordecai. And everything that Haman had planned for Mordecai is what Haman gets. So these two chapters, they kind of switch places. And what Haman had in mind for Mordecai was not good. So uh, Haman uh, does not go well for him uh, in our text tonight. So we're going to start in chapter 6. And I kind of summarized this point. We're going to include 6 and 7 kind of in one point. Um, Chapter 6 and 7. That God resists the proud. So we're going to see God kind of stiff arm Haman and help out Mordecai um, as a Jewish follower of him. So starting in uh, 6.1 there, we're going to see that Haman goes to court to ask for permission to put Mordecai to death. So that's the summary of the next 13 verses. So remember just above at the end of 5 that Haman is so mad because he, he came from the banquet with Esther and the king, and he's going home, and Mordecai still won't bow to him. And it just makes him so mad. And so he goes home, and his wife is like, why don't you just kill him? Why don't you just make some gallows and put him on it, and he'll be gone? And so he's like, that's a great idea. <laughs> so that night, the carpenters, you know, the people that, that worked for them, uh, built these gallows on Haman's property. So you imagine, you know, he probably has his own mini palace, and then on the front lawn he has these gallows made to uh, put Mordecai to death. And so this is the next morning, or sorry, this is the same night that uh, Haman is off building the gallows uh, that we read about the king in chapter 6. So what we'll see first here is that on a random night, the king could not sleep and wanted to be read to. So we've all had trouble falling asleep at some point. I don't know, maybe you're especially gifted and you can just fall asleep at any moment. I'm not that way. <laughs> I remember growing up that uh, if anyone like made any sound, it would like wake my brain up and then I'd be like wide awake and mad because I didn't have any self-control. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and... This is where the king's at, is he's, he can't fall asleep, and he wants uh, someone to come read to him something really boring, is the idea, so that he falls asleep. So, starting in verse 1 of chapter 6. That night the king could not sleep. So one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. So, you know, this, you know, in our lives... If we can't sleep for a night, if we're up all night, like that's the biggest bummer ever, right? And what we see here is that God is sovereignly keeping the king up so that he'll read uh, the books of the, the Chronicles in this specific section. They probably had, you know, they had scrolls and scrolls, thousands, probably millions of scrolls of records of things that went on in the kingdom. And he wants them to read to him. And it's just... On this random night, uh, he couldn't sleep. And even though God isn't mentioned here, it's obvious uh, that he's at work behind the scenes. So this is about four years after Mordecai saved the king. So you recall that he uh, heard about the plan that they were going to kill the king. um, And then he warned the king of that. And so here's the king. He can't sleep. He asked someone to come in to read to him. And we're going to see in verses 2 and 3... Uh, the king finds that Mordecai has not been honored. So in verse 2, And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bichthana and Teresh, two of the king's units, unit, eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Then the king said, What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. Uh, So this is a problem for the king because it reflects poorly on him that he did not honor the one who saved his life. So here he is on this random night, randomly being read to from the chronicles of the kingdom. 
and they read about Mordecai saving his life. And this is on the threshold. Uh, you know, this is going on simultaneously with Haman out building the gallows to kill Mordecai. These are, you know, parallel uh, events. And so what we'll see in the next couple verses is that Haman is selected to honor Mordecai instead of executing him. So here the king is, randomly, not asleep, randomly being read to from the Chronicles, and all of a sudden, as Haman's coming to say, hey, can I kill Mordecai? And probably receive a yes. All of a sudden, uh, the king's like, who's in the courtyard? And who's there? Let's read about it. So in verse um, 4. So the king said, who is in the court? So he's looking for anybody. He doesn't care who's there. Uh, He's just looking for someone to help him honor this person who has saved him. And again, this is just a random thing. Who's in the court, says the king, and who's coming? (laughs) Um, It's Haman. And so Haman has probably, uh, yeah, just finished the gallows. Uh, So look at verse, uh, the rest of verse four. Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And so here's Haman's best laid plans. He's got everything going for him. He's about to win. And uh, he walks in right when the king says, who's here to help me uh, do this thing? And so Haman's ignorant of this. And so in verse 5, the king's servant said to him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king asked him, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor. And this is like your worst nightmare uh, if you're Haman. So remember, he's on top of the world. He thinks he's got everything going for him. And he thinks the king loves him. Uh, that, and he probably does. They're, they're close. Um, and so he thinks uh, that this is about him. So in the rest of verse 6 there. Now Haman thought in his heart, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? So we get a little insight into Haman's thoughts. So his intention is that, you know, after the king decides to honor me, I can go hang Mordecai. It's going to be a great day. And then I'll go to supper with the king and queen. This is going to be awesome. So in verse 7, Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on its head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of the one, the king's uh, most noble princes, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. So, So right now, Haman is right here. He is living the dream. And in verse 10, it just... The, the next chapter and a half is just Haman falling. Uh, so in verse 10, Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested, and do so for Mordecai the Jew who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. So this is just... You, can you imagine Haman standing there like, like he's coming, like I'm going to get rid... This is the day I get rid of my, my enemy, Mordecai. And he's about to ask the king, and the king's like, hey, come here, come here. How, how should I honor someone that, that needs to be honored? And he's like, oh, this is me, this is going to be great. And then when the king says, do this for Mordecai the Jew, just imagine that, that feeling of heart drop in Haman as he's just like, what just happened? Like, that was exactly the opposite of what I was hoping for. And so instead of getting to uh, kill Mordecai, now he has to parade him through the streets um, and honor him before all the people. Uh, So this is interesting uh, that the king knows that Mordecai is a Jew. It probably mentioned that in the Chronicle uh, that he was reading. Um, But he's already forgotten. The king just continues to show that he has no idea what's going on. And he's kind of at the whim of whoever has advice at the time. 
and so he has forgotten that two months earlier he said, yeah, let's let all the Jews be killed. Yeah, Aaron. So as, I'm, as I think through that, I go back to when I was teaching. They, Haman specifically left out that it Did you was not mention the Jews that? when he was saying, hey, there's a people that is going against your law. Right. We should destroy these people. Yeah, so he didn't even tell the he king that it's the Jews. Jews. So I'm, it's my thought is that like the king never even knew what people right. were. He doesn't even know what's going on. Yeah. It was going to be destroyed. Yeah. And so he's just saying, yeah, this guy's a Jew. What's the big deal? Right. That's awesome. Yeah, so uh, it's the, the ignorance of the leaders in the Persian government is just fascinating to me that Haman... Uh, you know, he's ignorant of all these things that are going on with the king, and then the king's ignorant of everything that's going on between Haman and Mordecai, and then he sends Mordecai out. It's just, it's almost comical. Um, so this is the beginning of the plummet of Haman's life. So, uh, verse 11. So Haman took the robe and the horse, arrayed Mordecai, and led him on horseback through the city square, and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. I would have loved to see Haman say those words, or hear him say those words, I guess. Uh, that would have just been hilarious. Uh, and he would have hated every moment of that. Uh, so in verse 12, Afterward, Mordecai went back to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. So he's just ashamed. Uh, he's been humiliated. I'm sure that the people out in public uh, are aware of some of this conflict between Mordecai and Haman that the palace people are ignorant of. And so for Haman have to, to publicly honor Mordecai would have been really embarrassing for him. Uh, there's something really interesting that happens in verse 13. So you remember before, at the end of chapter 5, that Haman's wife, Zeresh, told him, like, yeah, you should go kill Mordecai. Just go ahead and kill him because this is clearly bothering you, she says uh, something really interesting here. So look at verse 13. When Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him, his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, if Mordecai, before, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. Well, like a dooming statement to say to your husband. <laughs> Like, you're such an, thank you, honey. That's just what I needed here in my shame and embarrassment is, uh, yeah, you're going to keep falling because Mordecai is a Jew. So I don't know of what experience she has from that, of thinking through how God has been faithful to the Jewish people in the past and is aware of that. And now she knows, like, uh, the enemies of God, it doesn't fare well for them. I don't know what information she's working off of. Uh, but she seems to think that uh, her husband is doomed. And she just said it, says it so matter-of-factly. Uh, before whom you have begun to fall is of Jewish descent. You will not prevail against him, but you will surely fall before him. It's just comical to me. <clears throat> so, yeah. I missed that part. On verse 11, though, I just the comment I had was, uh -huh. it is something to note, though, that Haman had a choice whether to obey the king or not, and at least he did do, like you said, I'm sure he had scorn on his face and everything, yes. but he did obey the king and do what the king requested. Right. I mean, it, it is kind of interesting that he still must have had some fear about something that he, you know, with all the thing we knew he had in his heart, hatred and anger. Right. But he For still him to chose do that. to obey the king and do that. Yep. So, yeah, I think to disobey the king is a death sentence. Okay. And so okay. He's, uh, he'd rather be ashamed than be put know, to death. He didn't know death was coming. Yeah, yeah. He, he, okay, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, if he knew what was coming up, he okay. probably would have just disobeyed right. and been done with it okay. and then avoided the shame. But, okay, thank you. Um, yeah, you almost feel bad for him uh, at points in here because he's just plummeting in his prowess. And so even as we think about who he was, He's second in the kingdom to the king. And so in his mind, it's like, nobody can stop me. And just like the little parentheses after that is like, oh yeah, except for the king, but he likes me. And so just like you're saying, Leo, it's, he's 
that's exactly who he's running up against. And the king is even someone who he's been able to manipulate in the past to get the decrees done. And uh, yeah, he thinks he has more control than we'll see that he actually has. Uh, so that's the first point. Does anyone have any uh, other questions or thoughts to add to that? I suppose they went by the gallows that he had already made. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Parading them around the street like, I spent all night on that. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. All right, let's keep going. Uh, so in verse 14, so he's, he's just, uh, he's still talking with his wife and the wise men that he has uh, that seem to be speaking beyond their own understanding. They're making these statements about the providence of God without fully knowing what they're talking about. Uh, so in verse, uh, verses 14 through 7 verse 4, Haman is taken to court. So, it doesn't say that he's taking him to court. They actually come to get him to bring him to the banquet that he's invited to, to be there uh, with the king and queen. Uh, but what he doesn't know is that he's going to be judged. <laughs> and the king doesn't know that. Uh, Esther knows that. Mordecai knows that, uh, that Esther is going to reveal what's going on here. So, in letter A, it's kind of a contrast here, I think, where Haman is going so boldly to ask for the head of Mordecai. And now we'll see he's being escorted to what he thinks is a nice dinner party, but will actually be uh, his execution. Uh, so starting in verse 14, while they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs came and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet, which Esther had prepared. So thinking through Haman's frame of mind, okay, he's just been, he was on top of the world, he was just humiliated by having to parade Mordecai through the streets, and then his wife prophesies doom upon him, essentially, and now he's being pulled away from that conversation with his wife to go have supper with Esther and the king, and so I don't know if in his mind he's like, at least the king and queen still love me, and... <laughs> I can go have a nice dinner party and enjoy that with them. Uh, I don't know what he was thinking. Uh, chapter 7, verse 1. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. Um, and then I think we're going through... Sorry, that the PowerPoint is wrong, I think. So just through verse 1 there. So Haman is brought, um, and then there's a couple subpoints here. Oh, there it is. So Haman is escorted to the banquet. Uh, they come and get him. And then what we're going to see in the next couple verses is the king asks a third time, what is your uh, request of me, Esther? So the first time is when she braved appearing before him unannounced, and the king held out a scepter and allowed her to come, and he said, what is it you want of me? I'll give you anything, even up to half of the kingdom. And she says, come to dinner. <laughs> And so he comes to dinner and he says it again. Is there anything, you know, I'll do anything for you, essentially. And she's like, let's do dinner again tomorrow. So here we are. Uh, we're to that point, And uh, the king is going to ask her again here in verse 2. So he says, um, on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king again said to Esther, what is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Up to half the kingdom, it shall be done. And so thinking through what Esther is feeling right now, she's, uh, this is still a matter of life and death for her and for her people. Uh, remember, they have this decree against them that in a few months, um, anyone is permitted legally to kill them and take all their stuff. Um, and so if the king does not respond in a favorable way, she could be put to death. Uh, you know, the king can do that. Remember what happened with Vashti, uh, that he can... Uh, pick his queen, and do as he wills. Uh, so in verse 3, Then Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me at my petition, 
and my people at my request. So she asked very kindly, um, you know, if, if you want to do this, <laughs> if you love me, if, if I found favor in your sight, would you please consider saving my life? Um, for we, verse 4, for we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. So she's talking here about how they're being sold because Haman had promised uh, to pay the king so much money. Uh, we added that up last week. I can't remember the number, but it's a fortune uh, that he's offering the king to have uh, the Jews eliminated. And so he go, she goes on in uh, verse uh, 4 there. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. And so here they are, and Esther reveals she has an enemy, and her people have an enemy. And, you know, you think about where the king's at, uh, for... Four years earlier with Mordecai, Mordecai had saved his life from someone trying to kill the king. And he had just been thinking about that the night before. He just had those uh, events recounted to him the previous night. And now his queen is coming and saying, someone's trying to kill me. So in the king's mind, his uh, assassination is still fresh on his mind. And now he's thinking, well, who's trying to kill my queen now? And so he has a favorable response to her. And so in verse 5, So the king Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he? Who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? And so he's already fuming. He's already thinking, Who's trying to take out my queen, my Esther? Who's going to kill her? Yeah, yeah. Haman's like, this sounds familiar. I remembered something about this. And so in verse 6, And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is the wicked Haman. Can you imagine the, the heart drop in Haman as Esther said, It's him. <laughs> so here Haman is. Remember, that morning, on top of the world, ready to kill Mordecai. He's been humiliated, parading Mordecai around the city. And now he goes to this banquet with the king and queen, and the queen <coughs> accuses him, rightfully so, of murder and uh, genocide of her people. And so, again, we don't know what was going on fully in Haman, but the, you know, his wife's words are coming true in the worst possible way for him. Uh, so Haman was terrified before the king and queen. So this is just what you were talking about, Leo, how the only person Haman had to fear was the king. And that's the one God used to uh, take away that enemy of his people. So we see here that Haman is the object of the king's wrath. Uh, so we'll keep reading in verse 7. Then the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stood before, the, before Queen Esther, pleading for his life, for he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. When the king returned from the palace garden to the place, the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. Then the king said, Will he also assault the queen while I am in the house? As the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Uh, so yeah, just imagine what it would have been like to be in that room, and it's just the three of them. I mean, I'm sure there's guards there too, but the three of them eating, and Haman thinking that at least at least I have the king and queen. I have supper to go to. It was nice yesterday. I can go to that again and enjoy that and kind of recover from my embarrassment. And as he's sitting there, Esther points at him and says, "This this is the man. This is the one who." has set out to kill me and my people. And this infuriates the king. Uh, his wrath is pointed at uh, Haman. But there, there's a lot of irony going on here where uh, 
you know, Haman, the, this whole thing started with Haman and Mordecai because Mordecai wouldn't bow to Haman. He wouldn't show uh, that respect to Haman as a leader of the Persian people. And now here he is bowing before a, a Jewish woman. And that would have been a shameful thing of that day. And it's just Mordecai and Haman are, are kind of switching places here. And Haman is going to receive the uh, things that he intended to come upon Mordecai and his people. So he came to ask for Mordecai's head. Haman did that morning. And here he is uh, having his own head covered uh, and being prepared for death. So we, uh, at the end of verse 8 there, it says, as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. So we don't know if that's like the last of what he said in uh, the sentence before. I think he said death or like execute or, or something like that, where it's just like, there's no other possible outcome. Uh, we're going to put Haman to death. So, down in verse 9, uh, oh man, I didn't make it on there. So, Haman receives the death he planned for Mordecai. So, here in these last few verses, uh, here Haman has you know, spent all night making these gallows, and look at what happens in verse 9. Now, Harbanah, uh, this is one of the uh, eunuchs of the king that was sent to get Vashti back in chapter 1. Uh, one of the eunuchs said to the king, look, the gallows, 50 cubits high. So that's pretty tall, and they're in the palace right now, and they can see the gallows from where they're sitting in the palace. So I'm assuming uh, Haman's house was close by as you know, second in the kingdom or whatever. And so from wherever they're at, they can see the gallows. And so... Uh, one of the eunuchs points it out and says, look, the gallows, 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai. So this is the first the king is being clued in that there's this feud between Haman and Mordecai. Is right here as the king's already furious with Haman. And he's clued in by the eunuch, uh, so, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. And so the king said, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. So in those last few verses, you see wrath repeated twice, and you see uh, Mordecai and Haman both talked about in how Haman had intended these things for Mordecai, and now it's being used for Haman. I don't know if you guys remember back when we were in Ezra chapter 6, but if you recall, they were uh, building the temple and they had been uh, kind of stifled. They'd been questioned in if they were allowed to be building the temple and rebuilding Jerusalem or not. And the Persian king sent another letter and said, yeah, you have permission to do this and we're actually going to help pay for it. And anyone who tries to stop you again, let them be killed by the wood from their own house. And so there's kind of this irony of if you stop the building of the house of the Lord, then you will be killed by your own house. It's kind of the way it went. So that's in Ezra 6, 11, and 12. And I, this isn't a direct correlation, but it's similar in that uh, the shame for Haman here is that he's killed in his own front yard, essentially. He's killed in the gallows that he made to execute his plan to take out Mordecai. And instead of doing that, he's brought to the lowest point and then killed. And so, again, uh, it's a little bit different than a board game, uh, like me, but Haman, at the, at, you know, when the sun rose, he thought, this is the day that I'm going to get all of this done. I'm going to be rid of Mordecai. The king's going to honor me now. I get to go to the banquet then. And instead, he's just plummeted down and now he's being put to death. And so we see uh, the rise and fall of the proud Haman and God being faithful to his people and providing a way uh, to save them from certain death uh, with the decree that went out that they could be killed. Uh, does anyone have any 
uh, thoughts on it, uh, that second part or any of it or questions? It is white. Yeah, we'll get into that some next week. Um, it's talked about in a few chapters. I believe his family at least talks about his sons, if I recall correctly. Um, but I don't remember exactly where that is. But we'll, we'll talk about it in a week or two. Good question, Nancy. Yeah, really. It says, um, it sounded like you, were, you said that Haman bowed before the queen, which that makes kind of sense to me. Mm-hmm. And yet to look at the next sentence here, it says, will he even assault the queen? Right. Uh, when, when he was falling on her, was that more than just bowing down? I mean, when we Americans think of assaulting, now we got a pretty nasty connotation in our mind. Right. Like, yeah, I think... Yeah, um, I think it's not necessarily what the king saw, but his attitude that's reflected in that. So he saw, uh, you know, his his vision has been changed. So Haman was a friend and a you know his chief counselor, and now he's an enemy. And then whatever position he was in, it seemed threatening. Maybe I don't know that he touched her, uh, but. The king didn't like it, whatever it was. <laughs> so I don't think he, he did anything to her. Um, yeah, it doesn't say so. Right, right. I can't assume that at all. But the king was uh, not happy. No. Good. The picture I have in my mind mm-hmm. is he's begging her right. for life. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he's going to get up close to her. What the king sees is, like you said, he's already angry. Right. It, it could definitely be taken. Yeah, poorly. poorly. Yeah, it's interesting that the king even steps out. Um, yeah. You know, it's like, okay, there's, you know, Esther says, here's my enemy. And the king's like, okay, you guys hang out and I'll go out in the garden for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> so the king continues to show his uh, character. But it's like, it says probably, you know, we think about it, he's probably, the king, maybe he's just so upset right. and infuriated that he just said, oh, I better. Right. And, and we don't know if he's drunk again, like, right. like at no, the beginning, you know, chapter one, he's intoxicated. And uh, here it calls it a banquet of wine. Uh, right. So, uh, yeah, but he, he is not happy. Then what's the situation with uh, the covered his face? Mm-hmm. What what's the what's the connotation behind that? Why why would they? Yeah. Is it just so he, he can't see where he's being led, so people can't see his head fall off, or what's the deal? Right. Yeah, I read a little bit on it, and there's not a lot of uh, tradition of that, at least written down in Persian history. Uh, they did it more in like Roman times, uh, from what I read, and things like that. So, uh, yeah, I think it's partially like a shame thing of, you know, you're condemned to death now and you can't even look around anymore uh, type of a punishment thing. Uh, But, yeah, I'm not fully sure. Does anyone else know the history of that at all? I know that when they hang Saddam Hussein, Mm -hmm. I know it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. They, they put a hood on them. Sure. And traditionally, when they hang somebody, they put a hood on them. I know them. that's thousands of years different. Right. Yeah, similar cultures, though. Now, that's a good question. They do it in all the Westerns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> John Wayne said it was true, so we can rest assured. He was born in Iowa, so it's got to be true, yeah. It said they covered Haman's face as mm-hmm. ancients often did. Those about to be the executed. Mm-hmm. That's what it says in my Yeah. Yeah, it must have been their their cultural tradition to once someone's condemned to death, cover their face and that's even lived on to today in cultures. Good.
Any other thoughts with Esther 6 and 7? <clears throat> we'll uh, look at a little application here. So in our so what, um, as we think about the, the cataclysmic change that occurred here, that everything was going against the Jews to it being flipped and everything working out for them. We know that God was working behind the scenes. Uh, God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. So I don't mean by that that he'll you know, go against his character or anything. But when kings are at play, when, when the power is at play, when the anger of kings is at play, uh, these powerful rulers, uh, the king is the most powerful person in the world this time. And we just see him act out of anger, not having self-control. He's ignorant of what he's signed into law. Uh, he's just not a great king. And God uses him uh, to take out the enemy of his people. And I don't want to... Uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's embarrassing what Haman went through. And we can feel bad for him because we feel that same embarrassment when we do things embarrassing or when, we're, when we sin and we're shameful, uh, when we resist God and turn away from him and don't walk with him. Um, but purposefully in this text, God points out the folly of working against him and trying to thwart his purposes of what he's doing. And so at this time, uh, you know, his promises to his people to protect them and uh, help them rebuild back in Jerusalem. And so, you know, from the, the wise men and his wife Zeresh, you know, it's like, why didn't they tell him that the night before? <laughs> you know, like, oh, he's a Jew. Well, you're going to die. <laughs> That's just foolishness to try and, and work against God's plan. Um, and so it's a good reminder to us to, to trust the Lord and to get on board with what he's doing and not just proudly seek to do whatever we want to do uh, that honors us or, or gives us what we want, but to seek what he wants in all things. Just a comment? Yeah. So even though um, a leader might not even realize, you know, what the, the Jews are a protected people or that God mm -hmm. is, you know, look at uh, World War II. I can't think of his name. Hitler. Hitler. Yeah. Yep. You know, he was, he was uh, you know, out to eradicate them and, and you know it didn't work. Right. And, and even now, you know, you've got all the surrounding countries of of Israel there, you know, want to wipe them off the face of the earth. And yep. guess what? You know, they might not know that they're or understand, well they they've kind of stolen and said, well we're the protective people instead of Israel. But right. anyway, it's not gonna work again. Right. Know, so. Yep, they need to listen to Zeresh. <laughs> this is a bad choice. It's good, Riley. Um, yeah, as I thought about this text, uh, there's similarities to the gospel, so it's not what happens in the gospel. But even as we think about uh, Mordecai and Haman and kind of how they switch places, so the honor Mordecai or the, the honor Haman thought he was getting for himself is given to another. So the honor Christ earned for us um, in his sacrificial death is given to us, and he takes our shame, and we get his honor in the gospel. And so, it's different here because Haman's an enemy, but he receives the shame he intended for Mordecai, and Mordecai receives the honor that Haman intended for himself. And so we see that, that switch. And then we also see it in Haman's intention to execute Mordecai, to kill him. Uh, he uh, intended to execute him, to condemn him, but instead he's condemned and Mordecai is set free and, you know, is rewarded for, for his uh, help with the king and things like that. So, again, it's not, it's not the gospel, but, but we, we can uh, remember that Christ was condemned so that we could be set free. We deserve to be condemned and he took that in our place and uh, we have freedom because he uh, died for us. So, it's not an exact correlation, but it's a helpful way uh, to see that, perhaps.
Um, God is not an absent-minded ruler. So we see again and again that um, Ahasuerus here, he, he's just kind of at the whim of whoever's in the room at the time. So, you know, you think back to when Vashti was displaced, he's like, what are we going to do? And someone's like, well, we need to, you know, tell all the women to respect their husbands and set up a beauty pageant. And the king's like, yeah, let's do it. And all through this, you know, Haman's like, hey, we should kill these people. And the king's like, yeah, let's do it. And here he is, he's like, uh, you know, we should kill Haman. And the eunuch's like, hey, look, there's gallows, let's hang him. And so the king's just kind of like blubbering around. The, the most powerful man in the world is just drunk and ignorant. And God is not that way. Um, in Matthew 6, 25 through 34, uh, it's a text we often think about, about how we don't need to worry because God takes care of the lilies of the valley and the birds and all these things. And don't, don't worry what you'll eat or drink or what you'll wear uh, because your heavenly Father cares for you. So we have a God who rules over us and cares for us, who doesn't sleep, who doesn't go on vacation, who doesn't get drunk, who doesn't forget, uh, you know, who just takes the opinion of whoever and does their idea. Um, he has a good and perfect plan, and we can trust him. And, you know, thinking along those same lines of the gospel, when God takes care of, because he's not an absent-minded ruler, when he takes care of us and provides those basic needs, we don't need to worry. He's freed us to be concerned for our own welfare. He's got that under control. We can stop thinking about ourselves, start loving him and loving others, because he's freed us from self-care. That doesn't mean we don't eat or, you know, wash or whatever, um, but we don't have to be a people that are worried because God takes care of us. He's a good uh, ruler and a good father. Um, and then along the same lines, uh, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So in this text, you just see, you know, a straight stiff arm to Haman of, nope, you're not going to get your way. I'm going to accomplish my purposes. And we see Haman brought to death and Mordecai exalted and honored um, in the same text. Uh, and then along uh, similar lines uh, of what we were talking about before, because we're, we're free from concern for ourselves and worrying about ourselves, um, you know, that's all Haman was concerned about was... You know, the king says, who, who, what should I do to the one I delight to honor? And Haman thinks in his heart, ooh, you know. And, and how quickly he came up with that list of extravagant things to have done to the one the king honors. So this is probably something he's thought about before. You know, you can just imagine him, you know, in his room or whatever, like, oh man, it would be so nice if the king, the, the only one who's above me would let me ride his horse and have his robe and all these things. And so these things that he's uh, been jealous of, of the king, that the king has, uh, come to his mind quickly as he's asked by the king who can give whatever he wants, uh, what, what would you want, essentially, if you were to be honored? And so Mordecai thought a lot about himself. And uh, we don't need to do that. We've been freed um, from that self-care, and now we can... Uh, think on Jesus and uh, not think on the, our, the things we want, our desires, or you know, the prestige or honor we, we might want, like more, or, uh, Haman was doing, and uh, we can focus on the Lord instead. And that's just a really, it's been a helpful thought for me, because just because of the way we are as people, we quickly think of ourselves in any situation. Uh, you know, how, how would this deal work out well for me? You know, if I, if I say yes to helping this person, uh, then I can't go watch the ball game. Or, you know, just every decision we make, uh, we, uh, by our nature, think through the lens of caring for ourselves. But Jesus gives us new lenses where we don't have to think about ourselves anymore because our Father takes care of us and we can think about uh, loving others, and meditating on Christ. So those are some thoughts I had as I read through this text. Uh, you know, don't be like Haman. <laughs>
So instead of saying that, we said all those other things. Uh, <laughs> but that would be a good one too. Don't be like Haman. Uh, don't work against the purposes of God. Get on board with what he's doing and trust him. Uh, does anyone have any other uh, thoughts as we work through the text or questions that might have come up as we studied through that? I never thought about the part where he was reading that exact part. Yeah. God Isn't that wild? Just those three things really blew my mind when I was reading through this. That that night he couldn't sleep. That night, four years later, they were reading that section of the scroll about Mordecai. And then the king says, who's in the court? Haman's in the court. (laughs) Just like (laughs) these three random things that, uh, yeah. They're not random. They seem random, but it's all working perfectly according to God's plan. And we might think, you know, he sure took long enough or, uh, you know, he really ran up against the, the end there. But God's perfect timing. He did what he wanted and uh, saved his people. So. Good. Any other thoughts or observations? I just like the, the comedy that is in this, that whole chapter. I mean, it's... In the end, it's like it's not it's not funny that Haman had to die, but to see how dramatic his downfall was, right. it all started with the king couldn't sleep, right? And so the king got the equivalent of what's in what we would call an encyclopedia. It's yeah, like, just start reading the encyclopedia to me and see if I fall asleep. And that's it. Just everything just goes downhill from there for Haman. It's just how right. dramatic. Like is the Murphy's Law of Murphy's Law. Yeah. Like the worst day of your life, right there. <laughs> like to go from on top of the world to the bottom. And, and what, I didn't mention this earlier, but the king couldn't fall asleep. And he's still awake when they get to the part about Mordecai. And Haman's coming in then. So they probably read to him all night. And God was like, nope, you're not going to sleep. <laughs> you got to stay awake till he gets to the part about Mordecai. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was not good news for Haman. It's a reminder, too, of how God humbles the proud. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is a good thing uh, for us as believers. You know, we don't want to stay in a place where we're raising ourselves. um, But to come before Him low and trust His good plan. All right. Thank you all. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.